Christian nationalism is crazy, y'all. Motive behind the term Christian nationalist is easy to define and simple to interpret. We believe that the destiny of America in relationship to its governing authority must be kept in the hands of our own people. We must never be governed by aliens. We must keep control of our own money and our own blood. In other words, we must remain true to the Declaration of Independence. That is nationalism. We believe that the spiritual symbol of our statesmanship is the cross, which indeed is the symbol of Christianity. We believe that the inspiring dynamic out of which America grew is Christianity. We believe that there would be no real America such as we love and for which we're willing to die if there had been no Christianity. Thus, when a Christian is a nationalist, he becomes necessarily a Christian nationalist. Oh, but it gets worse. Subversive forces, exploiting sentimental nitwits, are reading into the Constitution a code of conduct which threatens to mongrelize our race destroy our racial self-respect, and enslave the white man. Fight mongrelization and all attempts being made to force the intermixture of the black and white races. Preserve America as a Christian nation, being conscious of the fact that there is a highly organized campaign to substitute Jewish tradition for Christian tradition. The most powerful Jewish organization in America is the Anti-Defamation League, which has launched a campaign to remove from all public schools any songbook which contains a Christmas carol or any other hymn which mentions the name of Jesus. Oh, now play the one from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Republicans really need to recognize uh, the people they represent, okay, their voters, not the, not the lobbyist owners, not the corporate PACs, not, not those people. That's not who the Republican Party should represent. Uh, we need to be the party of nationalism, and I'm a Christian, and I say it proudly. We should be Christian nationalists. And let's not forget the political strategist for a candidate for governor in Pennsylvania. So, no, we don't want people who are atheists. We don't want people who are Jewish. This is an explicitly Christian movement because this is an explicitly Christian country. Now, we're not saying that, uh, you know, we're going to deport all these people or whatever. You're free to stay here, right? You're not going to be forced to convert or anything like this, but you're going to enjoy the fruits of living in a Christian society under Christian laws. And can we end it with that crazy prophet preacher guy? I have people email me and say, you are a false prophet because you prophesied that Donald Trump would be voted back in. I did, and he was. <laughs> now, if you really want to deal with this, how about the fact that you stole it from them and you put somebody else in there illegally, but in the eyes of God in the court of heaven today, the president of the United States is Donald J. Trump. All right, bring up the music. Let's get into this. Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school. Because my best days would be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad. But damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high, high school. 
Hey everyone, welcome to Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, figure out where the heck we go from here. We have met. My name is Jonathan Crone, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. When it comes to this topic, we could just make this entire episode a clip show. I mean, literally, we could just start running different clips, one after different the other. sound bites, one after the other. And we would fill hours and hours of content and you guys could all just sort it out from there. So, uh, we could probably do a whole show with our thoughts just based on clips and just let you have it. Exactly. So with that in mind, we decided to spare you of some of those clips because if you're anything like me, I just start getting angrier and angrier listening to these things. And so for my own personal mental health, maybe we should chat through some of the, you know, typical, uh, format that we have as we go through some of these things. Yeah. If you didn't look at the title, we are talking about Christian nationalism today. And before we get into it, uh, I'm going to cuss for the first time ever on this episode. So if that offends you, <laughs> I'm sorry. You can fast forward to the next hit that 30 second button twice. But recently I was talking about Christian nationalism to a friend of mine and he thought I said Christian assholeism. And oh. it's basically one and the same, but I just found that entertaining that's my new definition anytime someone says how do you define christian nationalism i am gonna say trigger <laughs> warning christian assholeism <laughs> and welcome back to everyone who hit that button twice uh you skipped the the two times we've ever said a cuss word on this show but to give you a little context if you are new with us each week we try to follow the same format we try to introduce the topic which we'll get to here in just a second then we've we talk about why that was bad, why that approach to youth group and to church and the religion and Christianity was bad. Then we try to find the good. We honestly, each week, try to find the good intentions from that approach. And then we end up the episode with how the heck we go from here. How do we train up the next generation better than we were trained up? And since this is a political season, since it is such a hot issue, I want to give the same clarifier we have given on every episode so far this season. Today is not about trying to convince you to vote a certain way. It is not telling you that you should vote for one part or the other, and it is not shaming you into feeling guilty about who you voted for in the past or who you plan to vote for in the future. Today is about looking at how some topics have been co-opted by politicians who have used the church for political gain. It's about showing you how there are issues that, as Christians, we must care about them while acknowledging we have the liberty to come to different conclusions on how to best fix those issues. And it's about reframing politics and the role of government within our Christian worldview. So with that out of the way, we are talking about American Christian nationalism. And we're going to use the phrase American Christian nationalism and Christian nationalism interchangeably today because... We're talking mainly about America here. So for the 6.8% of you, I looked it up, listening in other countries, we're not talking about your country today. So this one might be a little foreign, but hang out and you'll learn something. So Christian nationalism, American Christian nationalism is a buzzword in our culture today. So I think we need to go ahead and start with the definition. Eric, what is or is not Christian nationalism? 
Well, I agree with you about the buzzword thing. Like you can't just call everybody a Christian nationalist. It's not like, you know, when you call everybody a leftist or a communist or woke or everything involving race is CRT, like we, words lose their meaning. It's the same thing that the conservatives did. It's the same playbook, just on a different side of of the political sphere. Yeah. So like words start to lose their power and their meaning if, if we're not using them correctly. And so, um, it's not, it's not about like, Hey, we can't have a Christian in the white house or like right now, you know, Joe Biden is a professed Catholic in the white house. Like it's not about not applying your faith to governmental policy, but Christian nationalism, what, what our definition is, is the belief that America was founded as a Christian nation by men who are all Christians. It says that our country has been blessed above all nations because we were founded by Christians. Christian nationalists believe the role of Christians is not only to make disciples of all Americans, but to also turn America, the governmental being full of policies and laws, into a disciple of Jesus that reflects him as well. Some sort of like, you know, government is person disciple. Ultimately, Christian nationalists believe the future success of our country depends on how Christian our laws are. Um, And so this is my addition where I think about it. It's similar to the history of our country of manifest destiny, which back in that time, you know, before, well, before the state that I'm in was a part of the United States where, where we as a country believed it was our divine right to colonize the rest of the country, which led to subjugation of first nation peoples. Um, These types of mentalities have been used over the years to justify slavery, segregation, colonization, all of those types of things. So when you think of American Christian nationalism, that's what we're thinking about. And American Christian nationalism isn't a new thing. There have been flavors and versions of Christian nationalism all throughout the history of our country. So the clip that we played at the beginning of this episode was from, I think, like 1954. It was post-World War II. And that's where we're going to live today in the version that we're seeing right now of Christian nationalism. And a lot of that has its roots in post-World War II and current Cold War climates. Because we were at war with the Soviet Union, who was an explicitly atheist country. They were staunchly atheistic. So as a response to the atheism of the Soviets, the United States government added the words under God to the Pledge of Allegiance, which, fun fact, I found this incredibly interesting. A Christian socialist Baptist minister is who originally wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm -hmm. So just to go back to our last two episodes, There are many ways you can apply your Christian beliefs to government. A Christian socialist Baptist minister wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. Yep. But it wasn't until the 50s that under God was put in there. And then in God We Trust wasn't put in to or onto our money until the 50s as well. Now, Eric, I know you know a lot more about that history than I do. Can you fill us in there? Yeah. So like you said, so it w- if we were to go through the whole history of Christian nationalism, I mean, it would go back to basically the founding. So we can't cover it all, but just some highlights. The original uh, motto of the United States was e plur- pluribus unum, you know, the thing you see on some of the money and stuff like that, which means from many one. So it was this idea of plurality where the founders founded our our country, meaning that all sorts of different types of people could come together under 
one umbrella. And then, and, and we knew like back then, the reason why, because back then religion was divisive, especially in the 1700s. If you read about the religious differences in the 1700s, especially amongst people who would consider themselves Christians, like they were killing each other under the guise of different sects of Christianity. And so the founders knew about that, which is why this idea of unification um, in a separation of church and state existed. Then in 1863, in God We Trust, a first appeared on a coin. It wasn't officially put in um, to the U.S. Mint until you know the uh, the 50s, but it first appeared there. This was during the time when uh, Lincoln had just declared martial law. There was uh, habeas corpus was suspended for the first time in U.S. history. We had the Civil War going on. Brothers were killing brothers, and so there was this like gap where these Christian nationalists filled this in with, oh, we need to start putting in. Uh, some more religious iconography because and think about how we are right now. It's like, oh, the thing that's wrong with our country today is we've taken God out of insert blank. That conversation has been happening for years and years and years. So it wasn't until the 50s that the United States officially adopted, 1956 to be specific, that we adopted one nation under God. And it was 1954 that under God was put in the Pledge of Allegiance. So that's just a basic overview of some of this, where some of this has its roots. But as we've been doing the past two episodes, because most of us who are listening to this went to youth group in the 90s or 2000s, so we were raised by people who were heavily influenced by the moral majority. In a book that came out in 1980 called Listen America, Jerry Falwell wrote this. He said, America has reached the pinnacle of greatness unlike any nation in human history because our founding fathers established America's laws and precepts on the principles recorded in the laws of God, including the Ten Commandments. I can hear Dr. Falwell saying this. God has blessed this nation because in its early days, she sought to honor God in the Bible, the inerrant word of the living God. Any diligent student of American history finds that our great nation was founded by godly men upon godly principles to be a god to be a Christian nation. And to follow up, just to give a basis for this line of thinking, Dr. Falwell once said, there is no separation of church and state. Modern U.S. Supreme Courts have raped the Constitution and raped the Christian faith and raped the churches by misinterpreting what the founders had in mind in the First Amendment to the Constitution. And another because again, this could be a clip show. Yep. Idea that religion and politics don't mix was invented by the devil to keep Christians from running their own country. So this may have to go into the post show or into a special thing, but can I, I'm, I, I just need to, to debunk this for a second. Um, when you talk about being a Christian nation, um, this is what comes up a lot is people say we have, our laws are based on the 10 commandments they are based on the Bible and anyone who knows anything about the law, the, the laws, the constitution and the Bible just knows that that's not true. I mean, if you just take the first commandment, I'm the Lord of the Lord, your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Obviously this conflicts with the first amendments guarantee of free exercise of religion. So they wouldn't have put that in there if they were based on the first commandment. Um, also article six of the constitution says that it's not God is not the supreme law of the land, that the constitution is the supreme law of the land that conflicts right away with the first commandment. 
The second commandment is all about idols. But if you read unabridged commandment, it says for the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God punishing. So there's this idea of jealousy. This conflicts with the first amendment again, because you can make as many idols as you want. If we based laws on the commandments, we wouldn't have the first amendment. And then article three of the constitution says no attainer of treason shall work for uh, the corruption of blood. That's, that's speaking directly back to punishing children for their parents' crimes. And so it's like, if you're guilty of treason, only you will receive punishment, not your children. That doesn't align with the 10 commandments either. Third commandment is you shall not take the name of the Lord, thy God in vain, but under the 14th amendment, you are just like simple enough. There's a simple enough explanation there that you know that that action is prohibited. So it's like, all of these things, as you keep going, you could go through every commandment and you could talk about how these things conflict directly with certain things that are in the Bible. The fourth commandment about keeping the Sabbath holy. The fifth commandment about honoring the father and the mother. I mean, all of these are directly conflicted in a number of different ways in our constitution and in our amendments. And so just the thought, the pure thought of we are founded on Christian principles based on the Ten Commandments is ludicrous. And there are letters and speeches from Jefferson and Adams and so many of our founding fathers that say that one of my favorite TV shows is the newsroom. And in that there's a clip where they use that. And um, if you want to see that just YouTube um, the newsroom, Christian Taliban, and there's a clip there that's a little racy, but is very interesting from just a founding father standpoint. And so we we look at all this stuff. Dr. Falwell was back in 1980 and the 80s when he was saying much of this in the 90s. But this is still going on today. Just take a look at January 6th, where people who were insurrectionists, I'm going to call it that, they were singing worship songs inside the Capitol and outside the Capitol. They were saying prayers while standing in the spot of the Speaker of the House. They thought it was God's will to overthrow the government and reinstall a Christian government while chanting to hang the outspoken Christian vice president because they didn't do what he wanted to do. And you've probably seen pictures of Jesus hugging President Trump. You've probably seen all sorts of stuff like that. There are bumper stickers in my town that say God, guns, and babies. That's where this has gone. Yep. Hey everyone, before we get into the back half of this episode, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about a new podcast launching Monday, November 7th called Unlearning Church Staff. One of the biggest groups leaving Christianity is made up of former church staff, whether paid or volunteer. In this new show, I'll be interviewing different people each week and talking to them about how they left church staff without leaving their faith. A preview episode is already out wherever you get podcasts. Once this episode is over, go subscribe to that new show so you get the first episode when it comes out on November 7th. That's Unlearning Church Staff coming out Monday, November 7th. That's it for me. Now we'll get back to this week's episode. So, Eric, you just hit on it a little bit, but what was wrong about and what is wrong about this Christian nationalist approach to government. You just hit on that the founding ideas that we were founded as a Christian nation was wrong. What else would you say was a bad approach to this Christian nationalistic approach? 
So the one thing that I didn't include in our definition of Christian nationalism, and I debated on whether or not to say it or not, but Christian nationalism essentially is the myth that we were founded as a Christian nation. That's the bottom line. I didn't want to turn a whole bunch of people off right off the bat, but the whole point is this is the foundation of it all. If, yeah, if you don't believe that the rest of it falls apart. Yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a mythological, you know, it's, it's something that's been, um, you know, created as fan fiction essentially. And you can go all the way back to, uh, the founder's faith. You could go back to all of these different things that, you know, as you start to read more, it was something that was really concocted more and more and more over time and developed in the 1950s. But it was taken in these areas where when, when the religious leaders needed power or when a group of individuals needed power and they wanted to leverage religion, those are the times in history where you start to see Christian nationalism, or I should say American Christian nationalism start to take hold. And that's where you include all of these different pieces of, of, uh, of myth. And I think, you know, we're probably going to touch on this at some point in the future, but it's just like the lost cause. It's just like the Confederacy side of that. It's where you start to add on these things and romanticize stuff that was never true in the first. So right off the bat, being founded by Christians on Christian principles with the specific intent to be a Christian nation, that's bad. The fact that if we are, you look at Thomas Jefferson, he there's a thing called the Jefferson Bible that a lot of people don't realize exists, <laughs> which isn't a translation, Thomas, by the way. No, it's not a translation. Thomas Jefferson took the New Testament and took the four Gospels and eliminated anything supernatural that Jesus did from them and made that his Bible because he didn't believe that Jesus could do that. So what gets me about that? Is so by nature, many- he wasn't a Christian. Uh, so by it, nature, he's denying the deity and the power of Jesus. So he has a freaking Bible to show you his theological beliefs. And this is one of the most influential people in our founding process. Exactly. And it, like, if you think about the people that are probably in your circles, I don't, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone, if I ever on social media, working in church or anything else like that, if we posted a Bible verse from the message paraphrase, you know, Eugene Peterson's <laughs> message paraphrase. I won't even call it a translation because I don't want to want a bunch of angry emails. It's not a translation. It's a paraphrase. It's what it right. is. Eugene, Eugene Peter, the, the, the message, how many people are up in arms about that, but are just fine with, you know, those same people being just fine with Thomas Jefferson being, being a Christian who founded our, our nation on, on Christian, you know, Christian beliefs to be a Christian nation. That's one side. So on, on one side is the idea that First of all, all of that is is myth to start off with. And even if you don't believe it's myth, what you believe, there are a lot of holes in it. Okay. So the, it's not just cut and dry that we're found to be a Christian nation. The other thing, and I love, I mean, because you brought this up, organizations can't be Christians. Organizations can't be Christians. Only individuals can. In fact, I had somebody bring this example up to me. Said, like, think about it. The the pants that most People wear casually on a day-to-day basis are jeans. Levi Strauss was a Jewish businessman who invented pre-pandemic. We wore jeans. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) Post-pandemic, it's gym shorts. Yeah, who? Yeah, right. Exactly. But so for the for the vast majority of like my me growing up, I wore jeans. Levi Strauss was was a Jewish businessman who invented blue jeans. Did his Jewish faith influence his business? Yes. But when you walk around, you see someone wearing denim. Do you call them Jewish jeans? No. (laughs) 
<laughs> you cannot label something based on the religion of the founder. Just like algebra is just algebra. We would never call for a number of different reasons. We would never call <laughs> it Muslim math. Oh, it's arithmetic. Yeah, nope. It's not Arabic, right? Like these are things we don't label <laughs> them based on, on those types of things. Like the influence around the, the founding of something does not automatically mean that that thing takes on the nature of what that influence was. So even, even when the, when the conversation breaks down and you say, yep, yeah, okay, great, fine. So maybe they didn't intend, intend it to be and write it in. And the constitution doesn't say anything about God. But because they were influenced by Christians, we're a Christian nation. Just think Jewish genes and Muslim math. We don't do that either. And we can have Christians in government. And I think we should. I think it's needed. But is it, it is impossible to make our government Christian. The church, by nature, is meant to represent Jesus. Government is to represent the people. And many people are Christians, but not everyone is a Christian. You heard that quote in the intro from the political strategist who is part of the Republican nominee for governor's campaign in the state of Pennsylvania. He basically, he straight out said, yeah, you don't have to be a Christian and you can still live here. We're not going to deport you, but you're going to have to play by our rules and you're going to have to live like we want you to believe that. That doesn't take into account all the other people who live here. And that is going to lead to discrimination. It's yes. going to lead to discriminatory policies towards groups of people who hold other religious beliefs than us. And yes. discrimination in that way is it's sinful. It's straight up sinful. Not to mention the discrimination within different, uh, you know, within different denominations of Christianity. We because can't even agree we, on what the rules of Christianity are. Exactly. How are we going I mean, to apply them to everyone? Uh, yeah. So if this this year, uh, imagine um, our government would be like the Southern Baptist Convention. Oh, good I mean, Lord. think about that. That's under one. I almost cussed that, again. <laughs> the, but that's one denomination. And again, I, I'm not in that realm. So Jonathan, correct me if I'm wrong on any of, the, on any of these facts, but that's one denomination. And when they bring everybody together to talk about things they agree with or disagree they with, they can't agree on half the stuff. Right. Exactly. And even when they say, hey, we're, you know, we're quote unquote agreeing and passing this and voting on it, does everybody just go, okay, cool. We're all, we're all going to go along with it? Nope. No, it's thank you. No. Unanimous. So that's within your own one denomination, let alone, could you imagine? We would just take our politics and instead of being Republican, Democrat, instead of being Republican, Democrat, you know, Libertarian, Green Party, all, every party would be based on your individual sect of Christianity, you know, post-trib, pre-trib. Could you imagine that someone rubbing, running on a post-trib platform? Well, here, let me, give a, let me give a different version. The SBC is the largest denomination in America. And Baptists yep. are the largest group of people, people with Baptist beliefs. That's Independent Fundamental Baptist, that's Southern Baptist Convention, all sorts of Baptists. That's the largest group of Christians in America. And while all Baptists certainly aren't Christian nationalists, a large portion, and I'd probably wager most Christian nationalists are Baptists. It's either that or Pentecostal. You don't see too many Presbyterians and Methodists running around in Christian nationalist circles. Of those Christian nationalists, many of which come from those Baptists and uh, fringe charismatic belief systems, a large majority of them believe in complementarianism 
and a hardcore version of complementarianism that says a woman should have no position over a man. All you have to do is go back to when Sarah Palin was named vice president candidate back in, what was it, 2008, 2012, whatever year that was, the way some of these people talked about her and her position in that campaign, in that election cycle. They believe that women should not have a position outside of the home, or if they do, it's specifically not over a man. So if we were to be a Christian government based on the beliefs of these Christian nationalists, there would be no room in our government for women. So if we're going to play this out, if we're going to play out this idea of Christian nationalism, that's where it goes. And we can disagree on the role of women in ministry. We can have that conversation another day. But if we're going to represent all Americans, we need women to represent women. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing is like, think about, okay, this has been used to justify slavery, segregation, and the subjugation of native peoples here in the United States. There is no doubt in my mind that the next possible step is either to go back to those things, but also just what you just said there. It's like, at what point, if we are a a Christian nation based on the, the laws of the Bible, will someone use the Bible to justify saying, well, since a woman, you know, Paul doesn't permit a woman to teach over a man, then therefore uh, we can't have women in any level of government except uh, Department of Education and only when they're talking to children or, you know, Department of Women's Health. But even then, that won't help. Like, think about all of the different roles that now, if someone from that particular sect of Christianity was in power, that's what we would have because we all have different interpretations of similar, you know, biblical standards and biblical laws, not to mention the application of those in the first place. Cause some are going, Hey, we're going to apply it to old Testament law. And others would be sitting here going, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Therefore the old covenant is fulfilled in the gospel. Why aren't we talking about the gospel? So imagine that you've got, you've got votes and elections between people who are like, you know, the, the gospel party versus the law party. <laughs> like how crazy would that be? I mean, we spent two weeks, the past two weeks talking about how Christian can apply their faith to government in different ways. So if we're going to make this a Christian nation, we're not even going to agree on what that looks like because right. we have egalitarians and we have complementarians. We have all sorts of this or that within the church where we're taking a 2000 year old book that's been translated through multiple languages and a different cultural time and trying to apply it to the world today. So even if we, if we believe this is supposed to be a Christian nation, and we tried to make it a Christian nation again, we would still have just as much division as we have now because I don't know right. if you've been to church lately, but most churches are pretty divisive. And exactly. un- it's unfortunate because that's not what Jesus has called us to. So this idea of Christian nationalism, of, of making the government staunchly Christian, it takes the focus off of Jesus and the grace he's given us personally. And it's instead it puts it on these behavior modification policies that line up with what we think a quote unquote good Christian should be doing. The, the other, the other thing too, a part of this is like, it's so tough for me to read, uh, you know, or, or to, to talk about this, this topic. And then to think, all I need to ask somebody is who would you say from a pure story perspective from the gospel, 
who is the antagonist of the four God, you know, of, of who's, who's Jesus's antagonist, religious leaders, not the government. I mean, you have the religious leaders who sought power. Yes. Religious leaders who sought power, who, who want to manipulate the law, who want to manipulate God and the scriptures in order to seek power. That is the antagonist of the story of Christ, not the giant empire government that was you know, non-Jewish at the time that did not ascribe to Jewish laws. And so even to just put those two things together is mind boggling to go, guys, you're removing Jesus. Well, no, we're not blah, 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 blah. We're trying to put Jesus and God back into the, to the government. It's like, but Jesus called out these things more than ever saying anything about this massively oppressive government. We'll get back to that conversation in just a second. But hey, Jonathan, you know how we shamed girls for revealing their scandalous, stinky belly buttons in youth group? Yes, yes, I do. Well, I've got good news. Unlearning Youth Group now has crop tops. Of course we do. That's right. Now you can let your abdominal opening breathe as you proudly proclaim your triumph over the purity culture. Visit unlearningyouthgroup.com and check out all the crop tops, tank tops, and t-shirts. You can even send us your ideas for new merch at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Can I wear a crop top? Yes, please. Now back to the conversation. <laughs> okay. We're at a full episode right now just doing the bad. Let's switch gears. Like we do every week, let's try to find the good intentions behind this approach because i want to be fair to the people who believe this way even though i disagree with it right so eric i have my idea of a good intention where do you see a good intention behind this okay so this is kind of funny you know like as i was thinking about i was kind of laughing about it but like yes of course the idea correct you know the concept of a nation founded and run based on christianity and the gospel is great wouldn't everyone love to bring, you know, we talk about a lot, like bring heaven to earth, bring your kingdom here, this now, like that's a great idea in principle, but you know what else? And is in really eternity, that's what it'll be. It'll be a right, theocracy right, yeah. led by Jesus. Correct. Yep. Where we yep. are co-heirs with him. So Which is that's what eternity will look like. The missing component is we don't have Jesus to lead here physically. And we still have as, sin. As the ruler and we still have sin, Right. So, but in, in principle, it works out. I mean, it's like anytime my kids come up to me and they have some great idea of a project they're going to do, you know, but they don't see the perspective that I see being like, no, that's not going to work out or that's going to get really messy or you're going to get hurt, you know, whatever. I, I liken it to the idea of building a tower. Like right now, if I could build a tower to heaven, so that way I could go to heaven and the people in heaven could come down here. Wouldn't that be a great idea? That would be a great idea. <laughs> great idea. But we have a literal example of God going, nope, in practice, that doesn't work out. That's not good. So yes, the people with the Tower of Babel or, you know, however you want to pronounce it, like, would I go, yeah, hey, you know, kudos for the good idea, guys. But once the bricks start getting laid, we go, nope, uh-uh, this is not actually going to work out. Same thing. Hey, guys, great idea to try and, you know, bring God's kingdom, you know, the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Awesome. Hey, we should elect someone who's going to act like Jesus here on earth or like the crazy idea that was brought up to me on my TikTok recently 
you know, we should have every, we should have America submit to the Roman Pope. God, come down and give us all different languages again. However, <laughs> whatever you need to do, <laughs> give us different languages. Do not let this happen. And Eric's serious. There was a guy arguing with him that we need to have a worldwide theocracy led by the Pope. Yep. Because the Catholic Church doesn't have any scandals in, the, in there. I mean, <laughs> it worked out for, uh, from, you know, about 800 AD to, uh, I don't know, 1400 AD. Not a lot of blood was lost there. Oh. So where I, where I find good intentions in this is that Jesus is truly the hope of the world. Yes. And if everyone was actively following him, we wouldn't have many of the issues we're facing today. So with that frame of reference, yeah, let's bring Jesus back into government. Yes. But it goes back to what we've said the past couple of weeks. Are you seeking power or are you seeking to do what God's called us to do and take care of those people? And at the same time, are you taking care of the people who don't know Jesus yet? Or are you trying to force them into a way of life that says don't drink or chew or smoke or hang out with those who do? I butcher that saying every single time I say it, but we did an entire episode on grace versus behavior modification, but it gets back to this entire thing. If we just act right, if we just act like the Bible says we will, then everything will be okay. Yeah. I mean, if we could say, Hey, let's, wouldn't it be great if every, everyone in your neighborhood, uh, was a gospel centered, Jesus loving and believing Christian and, and emulated Jesus. Yes. Okay. Good concept. So that's the good. The bad is when you say, you know what we should do? We should go door to door and we should test them and we should force confessions out of them if they're not, and we should root out their sin and we should start burning up the stake. Or you know, what's even better. Let's, uh, let's tie rocks to them and throw them into the water. And if they float, then they're, you know, demon believing atheists and we kill them. And if they sink, they must've been Christians and you know, they'll go to heaven. Like think throughout history. If you don't get what I'm referencing, think throughout history, how many times we've taken what seems like a good concept. And then once we start to put practical legs to it, it goes, nope, definitely not working out. And so it flies in the face of the gospel. It flies in the face of the, of the, of saying, Hey, do we have free will? Does God want us to come to him freely or does he want to be, want us to be forced into conversion? And we did an entire episode on stop, drop and roll. Don't work in hell in our first season and how we tried to scare the hell literally out of kids. And we see where that, that took us where we were in a great spot after that. So all of this, we have examples, but looking forward, where do we go from here? How do we take these ideas and move forward before we go into specific issue-based things the rest of the season? How do we approach this idea of Christian nationalism and make it different than Christians applying their beliefs to government? How do we do that? Uh, it's, it's going to be tough. And I think it's tough because so many of us, um, and I, I say us, but so many people who are Christians who are well-meaning, they are getting duped. You are getting duped into thinking that this is a good thing. Because again, on by the a circle, political propaganda machine, if we go back, exactly, this was a political circle. propaganda machine that pushed all this through. On the surface, it feels like a good idea and you can agree with, 
these people in principle. But you have to recognize that this is a far right stance. This is, and I, I don't even know if I would call it far right stance, but this is a stance from people who are want to abuse power. And it's not what Christianity is founded on. It's not Christianity. You just have to look back and say, it goes back to the 50s at the last time that this was really ramped up. And now future generations are going to look back and say it was the 2020s, you know, or the 20s, I guess you would say now that that it it got reinvented. And so this is something this is a this is a heresy and this is a sin that pops up every few generations in order to gain power. And so you need to separate those things out, you know, and I think, you know, you put in a great quote here. Uh, about this battle between Billy Graham and Jerry Falwell. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, they ended up becoming, I guess, friends later in life. But in the 70s and 80s, when this was all going on, uh, in 1981, Billy Graham said, the hard right has no interest in religion except to manipulate it. We have to realize that. At the same time, Jerry Falwell called Graham the, quote, chief servant of Satan in America. So, I mean, that was the belief then. (laughs) But but that, that goes back to it. These two people were, I mean, I would like to believe both God-loving, Bible-believing. I think Christians they're both in heaven were, now. Right, yeah. And they were like doing the best that they could, but they had fierce disagreements, which is why you know that this would never work as an actual political structure. Correct. And it's why we spent so much time last week talking about our rhetoric and how we talk about things and lowering that temperature. And so we have to approach this moving forward, realizing there are moral beliefs that we have as Christians, and we can apply them in certain ways, but that is different than thinking that the government has to 100% reflect Jesus, because there are going to be some moral things that we think are right or wrong because of our interpretation of Scripture and the morality that brings to us. But as we're going to get to in later episodes of this season, like even with LGBTQ rights, how do we apply that to government? We may think something is religiously allowed or not allowed, but the government that represents everyone, is it fair? Is it right? Is it just to apply those beliefs to people who don't believe the same way we do religiously? And that's a big question that Christian nationalism fails to give an answer. Well, they give an answer on, but it's something that I think is completely wrong. Right. And, and I want you to hear me, the people listening here, if you're on the fence or even if you're upset because you're holding on to something that says that this is a Christian nation or the, the root of all of our problems is because somehow we've removed God from government and schools and all that kind of stuff. I get it. But I need to tell you that part of the draw towards this, towards aligning with this sinful heretical movement is because of our fear. You are afraid. There's a fear and I understand the fear. It's a fear and it's a lack of faith in God's power. And it's, a, you know, it's a, it's an abundance of love for this world and your comfort. We talked about that a little bit last week too. But if you go back, you just read from the Bible. It, I love in the story of Daniel chapter four says the most high is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. So we don't need to supplant leaders in order for God to still be in control. 
Jesus literally tells Pilate in John 18 that his kingdom is not of this world. He says, if it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. Jesus never had his followers storm the palace to stop the steal. He could have. Right. He could have had angels come down. He could have, yeah. He could have easily, as he's got the crown of thorns on it, you know, like he could have been at the ellipse or whatever that was, and he could have been said, We gotta fight, you gotta fight, you gotta fight like hell, otherwise you're gonna lose your religion. He never did that. Because he, he said put the sword away. Yeah, he he literally told his followers to put the sword away in that case. Even Paul says we're not citizens of this world. So why would we bring our government? here to this world when you know you're not a citizen of this world. If you've ever gone to another country, it's like that. It's like you, you act the way you need to act, but you're in another country and that's okay. We, we, we know that God is sovereign over those things. And ultimately Christian nationalism, I've said it before, it's heretical. It confuses a miracle with Israel under the old covenant of un, under the old covenant. What, what Christian nationalism, Christian nationalists do, whether they mean to or not, is they're trying to make America Israel under the old covenant and you're unknowingly trading the gospel out for the law. You're getting rid of Jesus to go back to the 10 commandments. You're like the Jews that didn't want to wait for Moses and wanted to build an idol for themselves. It's Shouldn't we it's just heretical. go back to or Egypt? Yeah. You want to go back yeah. to Egypt and it, it's like, I get it, but you have to unroot that fear, that lack of faith. I get the draw that, that love for the world. Yeah. Another another piece of scripture, if we go to, Jesus literally told us not to force our beliefs on people. When he sent the 72 out with one of the first mission evangelistic events in the Gospels, he told them that if they, I'm paraphrasing, if they encountered resistance, not to push back, not to fight, not to force it on them, but to literally walk away shake the dust off their feet as they left town and go to someone who's more open to hearing what they have to say. He didn't say sit there and fight them. He didn't say sit there and argue with them. He said, okay, if they're not open to my message, shake the dust off your feet. You did what you were supposed to do and move on to the next one. And that's something that is, we have to take the gospel to everyone. We're commanded to do that by scripture. But we're not commanded to force it on people who aren't willing to listen. And I think one of the reasons that we have such a terrible reputation in America, especially evangelical circles, is because we have been trying to force our beliefs on people instead of shaking the dust off our feet and moving on to the next one, which was a literal command of Jesus. Yeah, I think it comes down to me too of like the argument stopped being about what was right a long time ago. And we care more about our position being right than doing the right thing. And in some cases, just like you said, just being okay and being mature enough to say, I'm okay with that thing existing over there and me doing my, I'm okay living in a country that's free like the United States. And it's not going to impact, it's not going to take away from, from my faith and from, you know, my religious beliefs. And I'm okay allowing someone else to think and feel and live in another way. And that's not going to undermine my own. And I, and I think we, we forget that we forget the wiping the dust off our feet. We want to go in and we want to force people 
to believe the way that we believe. And we want to force people to do the things that we do. And we just know that's not going to work. And I want to respect time. So I don't want to go too much longer, but I want to leave with a warning and a reminder. And the warning is that if we expect our political and governmental leaders to be Christians, we are going to be disappointed. As we look at applying our faith to government, we have to ask if they are vote if we're voting for someone who claims to be a Christian, or are we voting for someone who is pushing through policy that lines up with how we think will best help the people Jesus tells us to care about? One of my favorite TV shows of all time, possibly my favorite, is The West Wing. I absolutely love it. And in the latter seasons, the Republican candidate for president on the show, uh, there was a there was a segment where people were asking him if he went to church, if he was going to show up at this church event or whatever, and he didn't go to church. And so he was wrestling with, do I go here to, to placate my voters or not? And he said, this is a quote from the show, I don't see how we can have a separation of church and state in this government if you have to pass a religious test to get in this government. And this is the warning. And I want to warn everyone in the press and all the voters out there, if you demand expressions of religious faith from politicians, you are begging to be lied to. They won't all lie to you, but a lot of them will. And it will be the easiest lie they ever had to tell to get your votes. And this is what leads to where we are today, because we have a lot of people in our government who ran saying they are Christians without representing the values Jesus tells us to care about, the personal values. And there are people, there's a, there's someone in my state who has been in Washington for a few years. It started out as, I'm just going to go do this one thing and then I'm done. Yep. And he's an outspoken Christian, still is. But after the first term, it was, well, I just got my feet wet, so I got to do it one more time. And then it became, well, if I get one more term, then I get my salary for life. And now he's currently running for the U.S. Senate to get even more power. So what started as a Christian guy wanting to influence political policy with his faith has now turned into a guy who is seeking more and more power for his own financial gain, admittedly, instead of what he said he was going to do when he got there. So they won't all lie to you, but a lot of them will, and it will be the easiest lie they ever had to tell to get your votes. Mm -hmm. Because the motivation for public service is doing what you need to do to get reelected at the bottom, you know, at the, the base level. And that does not always align with doing what's best for the people in your constituency. Getting reelected is what every politician, that's their, that's their goal. And as long as we continue to allow it to be different than them doing what's best for everyone, uh, you're going to have these religious tests. You're going to have these situations where you have political candidates that are butchering the Bible or claiming to be Christians when you know they are absolutely not, or worse yet, where, where they're going to gas out a group of protesters to march down just to get a photo up with an upside down Bible in front of a church. And it's, it's offensive and it's just disgusting. And it's even more disgusting to see the hoops 
that people will jump through to justify why those people are right. And that's why we have to vote for policies as much as we vote for people. And I would rather vote for a Muslim or an atheist who cares about the widow, the orphan, the minority than someone who claims to be a Christian that supports policies that hurts those groups. Yep. And that takes a level of intelligence and discernment that we have to go through as we approach politics instead of listening to the rhetoric and, and falling into that trap, which is so easy to fall into. And the last thing before we close, it's the reminder. We are called to make disciples of all Americans. We are not called to make disciples of America. So as we go into this, we have to ask ourselves, are the policies we're supporting and are the things we are saying going to make disciples of the people around us? Are they going to lead to us having the opportunity to talk about Jesus to our neighbors, to the people at soccer practice, to the people we see in the grocery store, or the people we work with? A lot of what Christian nationalism has become is what I said on the front end, Christian buttholeism. I won't cuss again because I don't want you to have to fast forward, but it has become Christian buttholeism. And we cannot be doing that moving forward if we want to have any influence for the gospel when it comes to political and governmental policy. Yep. I got to ask myself, do I like, am I attracted more to the power that being a Christian butthole gives me than I am to uh, what Jesus has called me to do? to the people around me. And so it, it flies in opposition to it, but I think it's, it's a, it's a power thing. We are drunk on trying to get power and preserve our way of life. And Jesus calls us to a different type of life. And if we embrace that, we're all going to be better off. And he calls us to radical sacrifice. So yep. we're going to, it's going to change how we approach this and how we look at this. And I'm not, I'm not saying what policy you should vote for, because there are many ways to approach this. I want that to be heard. I'm not saying you have to go for the liberal, progressive, socialistic policies. I'm not saying you have to go with the conservative, Republican policies. But we have to make sure we're actually trying to help people and not chase after power and influence instead. So that's it for this week. I'm sure you have thoughts. I'm sure you don't agree with everything we say. So if you want to reach out, there's a couple of different ways you can get in touch with us. Eric is at Eric W712 on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. I am at Jonathan underscore Corone on the same platforms as well. You can also email us at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Next week, we are talking about racism and some of the things that we were taught and not taught in the church. And here's a quick teaser for you. Did you know Moses looked like an Egyptian and not an old white guy with a white beard like portrayed in Sunday school? That's a little lighthearted, but we'll talk more about that next week and how the Bible has been whitewashed in our culture and what that has led to. So subscribe to the show, rate the show, share it with a friend if you thought this conversation was interesting. Uh, we Thank you for letting us do this this season, and we will talk to you next week. Did you know that George Washington 
never actually prayed in the snow in Valley Forge. And the whole cherry tree thing was a complete lie that was like fabricated a couple of years after, uh, like by the 34th edition of his biography. So people have been mythologizing and making up stories about our founders for years. They said that he was a man of extreme faith, but even his own wife was like, he never goes to church. We said goodbye, Eric. We got to, I just can't, I just can't let it go. I can't let it go. It's disgusting. It's like Mormons baptizing people after they're dead. We can't go back and we can't try to make something into something else. This took a really weird turn. We've got to go. Okay. Bye. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye.